And uh, we're going to do a second part, if you will, of a message I started two weeks ago. I was not here last Wednesday night. I appreciate uh, Brother Oates filling in for me. Do be in prayer for him. He uh, is in uh, Texas. I got a text from him today, and uh, they were uh, dealing with some things with his, um, with his mother and some physical checkups there. And so pray for him uh, as he travels, and uh, uh, certainly keep him in prayer. But I appreciate him filling in last Wednesday night, a uh, kind of short notice for me, and uh, certainly was a joy to have him here. Ephesians chapter number 4, and uh, we're going to look in verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith, of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the fullness of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Whom, uh, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. Uh, we started a, a, a message uh, two Wednesday nights ago uh, to try to teach on some issues and, and Lord willing over the next several Wednesday nights and maybe even into the new year uh, we'll be dealing with some issues that uh, many, many people, even in good, solid Bible preaching, Bible teaching churches, do not understand or have a solid grasp on from Scripture. And as a result of that, we, we follow after, and if we're not careful, we will uh, begin to get involved with and to not have a problem with uh, churches that are doctrinally uh, impure, churches that are certainly not teaching things according to Scripture, and we're living in a day where Satan has done so much to attack, um, and he's done. The, he's used the same method that uh, he's always used in the Garden of Eden. He came to Eve and said, "Yea, hath God said?" And he began to question God's word. And um, we've seen that in in the last hundred years. Uh, one of the great great successes that Satan has had in the midst of Christianity has been to subvert God's word and to call it into question. Uh, he's done that by uh, flooding and literally saturating our society with so many different translations of Scripture that nobody seems to know which one is right and which one is correct. It has created a, a lack of confidence in the Bible, in God's Word. When you, when you refer to somebody and you say that the Bible is our sole authority of faith and practice. Many of them will look at you and say, what are you, which one are you talking about? Because uh, I will say this, things that are different are not the same. And there is differences in the translations of Scripture. Things that subvert and undermine and erode our Baptist distinctives and our doctrine. It is vitally important that we have an absolute, pure Word of God without error. And I'm not talking about just in the original languages. It has to be supernaturally preserved without error and fully inspired by God in our language for today. We hold to that in the King James Version of Scripture. 
not the New King James, but the Old King James. And if, if God uh, did not have uh, a pure word uh, for the last uh, uh, 400 years, then he would have been lying when he talks about the idea that he would preserve for every generation the, the Bible without error and without a change and without anything in error. It's very, very important that we understand this. Because we're living in a day where uh, denominations and, 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 and groups, religious groups, some of them, that while we would disagree on some things, would at least historically have been able to preach a gospel message that people could have been saved through. And while we may differ in some other areas of doctrine and some, perhaps some other areas of, of practice even, uh, they, were, they were at least preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were making an attempt, it seemed, to try to stay true to Scripture. But now we find that I don't hardly go a month without reading an article or hearing of some organization or group or denominational hierarchy that is meeting together for the purpose of discussing new cultural issues and deciding for taking a vote of the of the conference or the committees and saying we want to vote and see what we want to hold to as a denomination. Can I tell you they're looking to the wrong source? Our doctrine is not established by a majority vote. Our doctrine is established by God's Word and God's Word alone. And I understand I'm preaching to the choir somewhat tonight in a Wednesday night service here at Keith Heights. I don't think many of our people have this issue of understanding this. But I do believe that there are still issues of Scripture in some passages that uh, we do not have a full grasp on, we don't have full understanding of. And when uh, other denominations, other groups come out with some sayings and things, we may not think it's right, but we don't really know the Scripture well enough to say, well, that's wrong because of this Scripture. And so two Wednesday nights ago, we dealt with the issue that there are no more apostles in the day that we live. Uh, that is very important, because one of the purposes of the apostles was to bring new revelation that the Lord Jesus Christ had to give. They were used mightily to pen uh, scriptures in the New Testament, and uh, they, they were able to add to God's Word. Uh, up until the time of John and his death, uh, the Bible was still being written and compiled. And yet the Bible tells us that when John died, that was it. It was the end. We had all of the revelation that God was going to give us. And if we believe that there are apostles, then you say, Pastor, why is that such a big deal? Why do we have to deal with that? Because if there are people out here that claim to be apostles, then they are claiming to have revelation from God. That is extra biblical, outside of the bounds of Scripture. And I'm amazed at how many times I was listening, I was watching a documentary that a guy was putting out, actually a video of refuting a false doctrine, a false teacher. And there was a man who took over one of these big Word of Faith churches, one of the big ones, in fact, one of the pioneering ones, one of the ones that first started the whole thing. And the pastor that started it back in the 80s had resigned, and a new pastor, younger, came in. And one of the issues they were doing is bringing in uh, a woman preacher. And uh, it was this, this man's wife. And he got up in the service and he talked about, uh, we're living in the 21st century and uh, uh, we need to be uh, dealing with, uh, or 20, was it 20, 
Yeah, 21st century, 22nd century, whatever whatever century he said we were dealing with. I got COVID right now, so I can use that for another week at least. All right, but uh, 20, 22nd century, right? We're in 22nd, 21st century, 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 21st century because it's 2000. So 21st century, right? Okay, I got COVID, so bear with me. Uh, don't have it anymore. Uh, so anyway, he was talking about the, the idea that the new culture, the new society today, uh, how that we need to we need to start moving in a progressive way towards things that are more acceptable to society. And one of them was to be acceptable of uh, of women preachers. And he talked about his wife and how she was such a good teacher of some things. And she uh, and then they had a clip of her teaching uh, some things supposedly from scripture. And uh, it talked about uh, the, uh, the the crossing of um, the Red Sea by the Israelites, and and uh, she never read scripture, and she began to tell the story, and the points of her message were brought out of points that she made in her story that were expounded on, that were extra biblical. They were not spoken of in scripture. She was uh, she was imagining how the story might have been. And then pulling her points and her her uh, truths supposedly from the imagined story that was not found in Scripture, and it was amazing to me that here there are several thousands of people in that church service, and they're smiling and they're nodding their heads, and I'm talking about men and women alike, men and women uh, that name the name of Christ, that say they're saved, that ought to have enough discernment and understanding by the Holy Spirit of God to realize that what she was teaching was not found in Scripture. And so it's very, very important that we understand there are no apostles that can teach us things contrary to Scripture. But we do find that they were instrumental in the early church, and they were used to help, and we taught this two weeks ago, they were used to help with the foundation. And the Bible talks about the law, that, or it talks about the fact that the church, the foundation of the church back then, was built on the apostles, the prophets, Jesus Christ being the head cornerstone of the foundation. And so we find that these apostles and prophets were instrumental. They were there for the purpose of the foundation of the church. But we are not building the foundation of the church anymore. We're building on the foundation. And these apostles are no more. Now, that brings us to tonight. We're going to deal with the subject of prophets. Prophets are no more. The purpose of a prophet... Uh, was to proclaim the message of God as it was revealed to them. And uh, back in the time of the prophets, there was still new revelation going on. There are a few references of prophet in Scripture. We're going to take a look at a few of those tonight, where they were not uh, giving new revelation, but they were reiterating or re-preaching what had previously been revealed. And there's a distinction between them. And we're going to look at that in just a few moments. Uh, but some of the things that prophets could do is they could give a new revelation and present a new truth that God had given to them uh, for a particular group of people for that period of time. Uh, sometimes they were used to re-preach or to bring to remembrance something that the people had forgotten. And so oftentimes they were used to re-preach that. And then they were used to foretell of future events. Uh, they were still in existence in the first century church up until, again, about the time of John's death. We don't have any further prophesying. There is no new revelation being given at that point. 
the, uh, the idea of proclaiming a message or reiterating by way of remembrance of truth was still being done, but the term prophet was no longer used at that point uh, because of those issues. Um, but they were in existence up until the early part. Let's look in Ephesians chapter number 2 for a moment and verse number 20. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 20. Uh, we'll back up uh, verse number 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation, notice this, of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. And so, again, they had uh, a purpose in the early church of laying the foundation and uh, helping to establish that. Uh, since there is no further revelation, uh, and we have the completed revelation of God in His Word, then there is no further need of prophets. Now, if we go back to Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment, there are five uh, offices, five roles that are given here, five titles. Uh, we have, first of all, the apostles, and then we have the prophets. Neither of those are in existence. However, we do find that there are still the other three. We have evangelists today, we have pastors, and we have teachers and God gave all of these for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And uh, so we continue. The evangelists that are still here, the pastors that are still here, and the teachers that are still here are still to be doing the work of Ephesians chapter number 4. To teach and to give the sense of Scripture, to help uh, understand and to bring light to the verses of Scripture so that we can know them and uh, be, be taught by them. Uh, so that we can be perfected, we can be better equipped, we can be matured uh, in, our, in our spiritual walk, we can grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we can be motivated and encouraged to, and exhorted to do the work of the ministry, and so that we can edify uh, the body of Christ in, 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 our, in our conduct. We're going to look a little bit further at that either tonight or next Wednesday night, because I'm pretty certain... Uh, when I said we have a lot of notes and a long message tonight, I wasn't kidding about that. So it probably will be two Wednesday nights. So we don't have any prophets today. But there are people out there that are saying, I'm prophet so-and-so, or I'm prophesying, or I'm doing this. So let's take a minute to see what was the biblical test of a true prophet. What was the biblical test uh, of a true prophet? And uh, I did not bring the, the reference with me. I didn't write it down. Uh, but it is in Deuteronomy. I will tell you that, and I can get you the reference later. Uh, but there are three tests, basically, that are given. Uh, let me see if I can find it real quick, because I think it's Deuteronomy 24. Am I right on that? Uh, not seeing it right off the bat. I may be wrong. All right. So I'll, I'll find that for you and get it to you. Uh, but there were three, three tests of a prophet. First of all, they had to speak giving credit to the Lord and say, this is the word of the Lord. So many times you'll see a prophet say, thus saith the Lord. If a man came out and said, um, I, I got some kind of a, a vision and I, I was this and that and this kind of ambiguous, and, and there's no true message that God's given to them, uh, then you can mark it down. They're not a prophet. The second thing is they have to agree 
in their prophetic message, whatever it is that God's given them to say, they had to agree with all of the already revealed Scripture. They could not be in disagreement with. There could be no contradiction of already revealed truth. And uh, so any time that somebody comes out and says, hey, I've got no word of truth, first of all, we know that there is no new revelation. But even if there was, how many times does it go contrary to some other passage or portion of Scripture? Uh, and so it had to be in, in, revealed in agreement with revealed truth. Second, uh, the third thing was it had to come to pass exactly the way that they said it. Uh, I've heard people talk about men that have given predictions over the years, and they say, well, they're like 90%, 97% accurate. Well, then they're false. Because the true test of a prophet was they had to be 100% accurate. So, so there are no more prophets uh, we don't live in a day of, of prophetic uh, revelation of God. We have all of the prophecy that God intends for us to have in this book. However, we're going to deal with an issue that is kind of a, uh, an offshoot of this. Uh, last time we talked, we talked about apostles. And one of the issues we dealt with was uh, Paul's apostleship, because there's a lot of people who question Paul's apostleship. And so we dealt with that. There's a side issue that deals with these prophets that is being used today to justify something that is contrary to Scripture. And that is the issue of prophetesses. Prophetesses. And uh, there are a number of ladies that were mentioned in Scripture as a prophetess. In fact, there were 11 of them specifically that were uh, mentioned, some of them by name, some of them without a name, but they were told who they were. And... uh, out of those eleven, nine of them, let me rephrase that, eight and a half of them uh, were good, and two and a half of them were evil. All right? You say, well, how can a half be one? Okay, Miriam, Aaron's sister, was one of them that was mentioned as a prophetess in Scripture. Uh, she led the ladies with tambourines uh, to dance and rejoice in worship. And, uh, but later on, she became critical of Moses' leadership, and so God cursed her with leprosy. And so for about half of her time, she was a good prophetess, but then towards the end of her uh, time as this, she was not so much. Uh, the rest of them, there was Deborah, who was mentioned according to Scripture in Judges chapter 4 and verse number 4, uh, who was mentioned as a prophetess. There was Huldah, who's mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 22 and in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. There was the wife of Isaiah, and we do not know her name, uh, who was mentioned as a prophetess in Isaiah chapter number 8 and verse number 3. In the New Testament uh, Scriptures, uh, but in Old Testament times, we have Anna, because this was pre-Calvary, uh, the birth of Christ. Uh, Christ come, uh, Mary and Joseph bring the baby into the temple. Anna's in there, and she's referred to as a prophetess in Luke chapter number 2. Uh, Philip, in Acts chapter number 21, who was numbered with the seven, uh, had four virgin daughters. And the Bible said that all four of them prophesied. Uh, And uh, so again, uh, they were not standing up in a church. They were not uh, teaching new revelation, but they were teaching truth, revealed truth that had already been given. Uh, then there were two others that were false prophetesses. They have no idea who was, uh, no idea who was in Nehemiah chapter number six and, uh, was responsible for trying to, uh, deceive Nehemiah into, uh, hiding in the temple and not doing the work because of a threat that was given against him. And, uh, then the Bible talks about in Revelation chapter two 
that uh, there will be, this one is not yet here, but there will be uh, one that is considered or claims to be a prophetess, and the book of Revelation refers to her as Jezebel. Now you say, why is this important? Because uh, there are people around today that are using portions of Scripture to justify women preachers. And some of the things that they use are these references of Old Testament women who were used of the Lord as a prophetess. I've got a couple of issues about that that I want to say uh, very quickly. Uh, First of all, uh, it does not say that they were pastors. It says they were prophetesses. And uh, they were not preachers in a church. In fact, if you watch and go through and look at all of them, you will find no reference to them ever standing before the nation of Israel or calling a meeting to themselves. But what you find is that they were women who knew Scripture well, revealed Scripture that was already in existence. And when asked about the Scripture by someone who had come to them, they would give the truth that they had. Uh, It was not a new revelation. It was not in the sense of uh, what the prophets that we have that wrote Scripture Nowhere in Scripture do we have a prophetess writing Scripture or giving the revelation of God. We're going to see why in just a little bit. Uh, But there are people today that would say, well, because there were women who were being used in the Old Testament, that means then that there should be uh, women that are used in the New Testament. So here are some of the arguments that will be thrown your way in the issue of women preachers. Uh, and you may say, well, Pastor, I, I don't believe there ought to be women preachers, uh, so I really don't know that I need to know these things. But somebody may bring one of these passages to mind and make us what, what sounds like a valid argument to you. And if you're not aware of it and understand why it's not what they're perceiving it to be, uh, it, you would have perhaps a hard time uh, talking with them about these things. So let's take a look at a few of the reasons that are often given. Uh, to as to why people justify women preachers. And then we're going to talk about what does the Bible have to say about it. And uh, then we're going to look at, well, what can women do? All right, So we're going to look at all of those issues. Like I said, we probably won't get through all of them tonight. Turn with me, if you want, to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter number 3 and verse number 28. One of the, the key Scriptures that uh, people who argue for Uh, the cause of women preachers, is uh, Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 28. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 28. The Bible says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in, in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs, According to the promise. And they point to this verse and they say, well, see there, in the sight of God, there is no difference between a male or a female. Therefore, there shouldn't be any problem with having a woman or a man stand up and pastor a church. And they'll say, well, this verse shows that God doesn't make a distinction here. The problem is they take the verse out of context. We've talked about uh, quite often the important rules of understanding Scripture uh, context, context, and context. So let's let's back up for just a little bit and see uh, what he's what he's dealing here with. Uh, let's go to verse number uh, twenty. Uh, let's go to uh, I'm sorry, verse number twenty six. Verse number twenty six. Uh, let's back up verse twenty five. 
But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God. Do we see that phrase? By faith in Christ Jesus. So the truth that he is expounding here is, if you've trusted Christ as Savior by faith, <coughs> you are all able to be the children of God because you've trusted Christ by faith. You are children of God. And this is the point that he's arguing. This is the point he's refuting uh, and, and talking about. He says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Then comes verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek in reference to what? If we were to take that verse, could we say tonight that there is no Jew or Greek? No, because the truth is, there are Jews and there are Greeks. And guess what? There is a difference between them. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, according to verse number, uh, uh, verse number 26, that for this purpose, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for this purpose, for putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and being able to be one of His children, for that purpose, for that specific reason, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Jews can be saved, Greeks can be saved. He goes on to say, there is neither bond nor free. If you're a slave or if you're a freeman, you can still be saved. Isn't it wonderful that even a slave could be set free from his sins? And even though they may have been under human bondage at this point in time and under servitude, they were free in Christ. Why? Because there was no distinction when it comes to salvation. Look in verse 28 once more. He says, there is neither male nor female. For what reason? For the purpose of serving and pastoring? No, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about salvation by faith, being in Christ by faith. So understand that this verse, when they pull this verse out, and there are some that will say this. In fact, one of the most popular women preachers today makes this statement. Paul is not Jesus. And Jesus is the one who told me to preach. That's, that's what she'll tell you. She is basically saying that Paul was not inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write what God told him to write when he wrote the Scriptures. She's basically saying Paul wrote what Paul believed and what he wanted to write. And so you kind of have to pick through and, and you know how we sometimes read a book or, or we hear somebody and we have to chew the meat and spit out the bones because there's problems with it? That's what she's saying about Paul's writings when she says that. And she'll point to verses like this. She'll point to another one, Acts chapter number 10. And, and others uh, that believe in this will, will point to Acts chapter number 10. Acts chapter number 10. And I, they, they will use these verses. You can rest assured, if you ever talk to somebody on this that is, that is convinced in their heart or believe in their heart that it is okay for there to be women preachers today, they will pull these verses out. You can rest assured. Acts chapter number 10 and verse number 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteous, righteousness is accepted with him. Here we find that he's talking about, uh, he, again, they're talking about the fact that God doesn't make a distinction here. That there is no difference between uh, a man and a woman. That he is no respecter of persons. So when it comes to serving God, 
it must be okay. <coughs> and that this truth, <coughs> apparently, in their minds, supersedes what Paul wrote about this. And we're going to see what Paul wrote. But once again, let's take a moment to look at the context. Can we do this? All right, let's back up to verse number uh, 25 of the same chapter. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Now, understand who Cornelius was. He was, uh, verse number, according to verse number uh, 20, uh, 22, uh, and they say, Cornelius the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God and of a good report among all the nations of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. He was a Gentile. He was not of the Jews. He was a Gentile, and Peter, uh, you got to understand, at the point where he was at in his ministry, believed at this point that God was still bringing the gospel to the Jews. And Jesus was teaching him uh, a valuable lesson right before Cornelius comes to his house. Uh, you remember the cloth that was lowered from heaven that had things that, according to the Jewish law, was unclean. And Jesus told him to rise and kill and eat and uh, Peter said, I, I'm not going to eat anything unclean. I'm not going to touch that. And Jesus said in verse number 15, What God had cleansed, that call not thou common. And he's trying to teach Peter something. That the gospel was not only for the Jews. This is the context that we find the statement being made in verse number 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth. In other words, I've learned this. I didn't know it before, but of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. In what area? In pastoring? No. In receiving the gospel message. It's to go to everybody. It does not say that God is going to allow women to be the preachers. Uh, then they use the, uh, the excuse, well, God uses prophetesses in the Old Testament, and here's what they'll do. They'll, they'll do a bait-and-switch on us, and they'll say, well, see, they, there were preachers in the Old Testament. Well, wait a minute. Uh, these women were not standing up in an organized forum with meeting space and teaching a principle of Scripture. You won't find that anywhere in Scripture. What you will find are godly, spirit-filled women who understood and knew Scripture well, who from time to time, people or a small group of people or an individual would come and ask a specific question. And they would share the review of what had already been revealed of Scripture and what their thought was on it. They're not standing in the synagogue or in the temple or in the tabernacle and expounding God's Word to a group of folks. You won't find that anywhere. But they will use this idea of prophetesses in the Old Testament. Um, they will make this statement. They will say, well, Paul's command was based on cultural issues of the day. Uh, that these were things that were customary in that day, and he was dealing with things that were it was customary for the man to be uh, kind of in charge, and the women were to be uh, underneath them. And, and this was a custom thing that Paul was dealing with. But God tells us that the Scriptures came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God. Uh, spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. That no uh, prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. But they were, they, were, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things. So it was not just a short period of time and a cultural issue of the day, but it was a truth that was taught for all time. 
And, but they will use that argument. And I've already mentioned to you uh, the, the one lady, and there are numbers of other women that are picking this one up. And they say, Paul is not Jesus. And Jesus is the one that told me to preach. I was in a church a number of years ago, and a woman uh, got up and, and in the service and said, I've got a word from the Lord I want to share, or something God's laid on my heart. And she started getting up there and preaching. She said, uh, I, you know, I know the Bible tells us that women aren't to get up in church and to teach and to preach, but she said, you men aren't doing it, so somebody's got to. And that was her excuse. That was her reasoning for it. But let's take some time. Can we do this? I'll, we'll start into it tonight. We'll end it next week. But let's look at what the Bible has to say. Because even though I know that we know these things, uh, even in studying this, there were some things that kind of jumped out at me uh, that we don't commonly think about with regards to this. And so I want us to look at a couple of passages of Scripture. In 2017, this was just, what, five years ago, uh, there was a survey that was done by a religious organization. And out of the sample, they figured that on a percentage, and they tried to take a fairly good sampling of conservative areas of the country and liberal areas of the country and around different places. And they did a really a pretty good, pretty thorough job of trying to get a feel for the entirety of the country. And they found that 80% of Americans are comfortable with women preachers today. That 62% of practicing Christians were okay with it. This one will will kind of blow your socks off. That 40% of Bible-believing, what we would refer to as people who are very close in doctrine with us, those that would preach a gospel message and hold to much of the doctrine and distinctives that we would hold to, 40% of them were okay Out of the seminaries that are teaching and training men for ministry, 50% of the students are women. It's amazing that 25% of the professors in our seminaries are women. And that 11% of our seminaries have a woman as the president of the seminary. And then we wonder why our culture is beginning to be rebellious to God's Word. And by the way... Unless uh, you say I'm a little harsh on that, that's exactly what it is. Because the Bible is very, very clear on the issue. There's not a lot of ambiguity here. Let's look in First uh, Timothy, if you will, chapter number 2. And let's see what Paul writes about this. First Timothy, chapter number 2. And again, we want to make sure that we have the correct uh, context here. So I'm going to start in verse number 7 so that we understand what Paul is speaking about here. He says, Wherefore, I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ, and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. So he's saying here, I have been ordained a preacher. I'm an apostle. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles. I meet those qualifications. He says in verse 8, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety. Now, do we we see the difference here? Look at the contrast between the way men are to be uh, behaving in worship and the way women are to express their godliness. Notice this, that men, in verse number 8, Pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness 
and sobriety, not, broidered, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression, notwithstanding. She shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, in charity, in holiness, and with sobriety. Now, I am not... I'm not trying to find Scripture to support me being a male chauvinist. That is not the point here tonight. My point is to make sure that we understand God's Word on the subject. Uh, I don't believe myself to be a male chauvinist. I believe myself to be a biblical Christian. And the position that I hold in this area is something that I hope to be uh, biblical in every aspect. So there are some things that are very clearly stated in 1 Timothy chapter number 2. That a woman is not to, number one, that they are not to teach uh, over a man. Number two, that they are not to usurp authority over a man. And number three, that when it comes to these times of teaching uh, where men are around, that they are to be in silence. That's the exact phrasing that is used in the Scriptures. Now, you say, boy, that's, that's awful harsh. Why would Paul uh, teach this to Timothy? Well, let's take a moment to look uh, back in Genesis chapter number 3 for a moment. Genesis chapter number 3. And uh, we wanna, I want to bring out something here that I think sometimes we, we miss. Um, Genesis chapter number 3. And uh, let's go down to verse number uh, uh, 16. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 16. Now, understand what's taken place here. In the, in the Adam and Eve have both sinned. God has found them. And God is now pronouncing a curse on them. The penalty for, for their disobedience. All right? So, Adam has been given a curse. The earth is not going to yield its fruit easily anymore. He's now going to have to work with the sweat of his brow. Uh, it's going to give thorns and thistles, and there's going to be problems in, in the labor and the work that God gave to man initially to be uh, uh, something that he enjoyed and something that he thrived on, something that was satisfying to him. Now it's going to be something he has to do by the sweat of his brow. He's already uh, given a curse to the serpent. Uh, and then in verse number 16, he now pronounces a curse unto the woman. And notice what it says here. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children. Uh, or in sorrow, thou shalt bring forth children. So when we think of the curse that was put on women, most of the time, all we think about is that it was travailing childbirth. But that's not all of the curse. Look what it says here. He says, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall what? Rule over thee. You say, boy, that's a harsh judgment. Well, Eve was deceived. Understand this. The Bible teaches very clearly 
that, that God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and man was made for God, but woman was made for man. And yes, for God's glory, I understand that, but the reason God made woman was for man. Man wasn't made for the woman. And, and I'm not trying to be incendiary or cause some, some ladies to leave here tonight and be like, boy, that sounds horrible. God has given women an elevated role in some ways. Yes, there's a curse because of the sin. And part of that curse is, is the, the pain and travail in childbearing, but also part of it is that they are now under the rule of their husbands. And that is part of God's judgment on their sin. Just like man has to live by the sweat of his brow now, women have to be under these things. And when we, this is now God's order, this is what God has established. When we try to depart from that and go contrary to that, then we are rebelling against what God's Word has said to us about these things. So, so don't, yes, there's equality in salvation, there's equality in being a child of God. Uh, there are some things that men and women certainly uh, are to uh, communicate with. And in Ephesians 5, the Bible talks about men loving their wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. And certainly we understand that. And But, but wives are still to be submitted to their own husbands. It is part of God's divine order on things. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. And again, Paul speaking here, uh, dealing again with this issue. Uh, in uh, verse number 33, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So the purpose of what he's getting ready to say here is to deal with uh, the issue of order in the church. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Uh, what law? The law that God gave all the way back in Genesis chapter number 3, that she was to be under the rule of her husband. She is to be obedient to him. Uh, women today... I. I, I've done some weddings where when it comes time for the vows, some of the women say, I don't want you to put obey in my vows. Can I tell you, that's a biblical concept. It's not a, it's not a male chauvinist. It's not Paul uh, being a male domin- in a male-dominated society. It's Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And notice in verse number 34, there is no question about it. It tells, let your women keep silence in the churches. That's a pretty emphatic statement. It is not a request. In fact, so much so that he reiterates it by saying this, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. There's going to be a theological discussion, wives, you ask your husband at home. You say, well, my husband isn't the best theologian. Then you ask him and make him go to God's Word and find the answer for you. And if he has a problem, he can come to the pastor and say, Pastor, can you help me with this? My wife's got an issue with it and I need to know. But wives, I, you know, 
I don't mind when somebody calls me and asks me, hey, what do you think about this passage of Scripture? But if you've got a husband, go to your husband. It's what the Bible teaches. If you're going to learn Scripture, learn it from him. And if he doesn't know the answer, then say, well, well, could you study it and find out for me and let me know? And encourage them in that way. Push them towards this. They need to be the leader of the whole, spiritually. Uh, so there are several things that are given here in 1 Corinthians 14. That women are to keep silent in the churches. That they are not permitted to speak in the churches. That they are to be under obedience. That, to be in the subjection area of things. That they are to follow the leading of their husbands. And that it is a shame. It is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, we're living in a day where people say, well, we're living in, in, in the 21st century. There we go. I got it. We're living in the 21st century. And culture and society has changed. And uh, these, these uh, verses are not meant to be taken literally. But God has a specific design in Scripture. The design is this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let's look there and I'll, I'll, I'll finish probably with this point. And if I don't, we'll do another one. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I know, Miss Kim, I know you got to go. Feel free, that's fine. I, I, see, I understand that situation. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and uh, let's look in verse number, let's just start in verse number 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. Now, who is that written to? That's written to men and women. That's written to everybody. Be ye followers of me, as I am of Christ. Paul's speaking of these things. Now, I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head, notice this phrase, the head of every man is who? The head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is what? Christ? No, who is the head of the woman? The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Now, we find a couple of things that are taught in Scripture that Paul teaches. Number one, that Christ is the head of the man. Now, hold that thought for a moment. Let's turn over to um, uh, Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. And uh, let's look in verse number uh, 23. So Christ is the head of the husband, or the, the man, right? Verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife. But I want you to notice this statement. Even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Now, now follow me on this, and I'll make this point, and I probably will end here. <coughs> God gives a, a biblical uh, hierarchy, if you will, a, a biblical order of things. And the purpose of the biblical order is to picture the relationship that the church has with Christ and that we as individuals have with Christ. The husband is the head of the husband is Christ. The head of the church is also Christ. And there's a there's a parallel there. There's a not that the man is the church, but there is a a picture that is given here. That he is to be the head of the, uh, of the of the woman, and then notice this: <clears throat> men are to be 
<coughs> excuse me, the Christ is the head of the man, or the head of the church and the head of men. Men are to be the head of the wife, according to Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 23. Now, I want to back up to verse number uh, 22. Wives... Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. That doesn't mean that the man is equal to the Lord. What that means is we're to be submitted to the husband the same way that we want to be submitted to Christ. In other words, if Christ has said it, I want to submit to it. And we are to submit to husbands as unto the Lord. Why? Because... The head of the husband is who? Christ. You say, well, my husband, he doesn't always follow that. Well, you don't follow submission to him all the time either. But that doesn't negate the fact that it's still supposed to happen. Uh, so, we find that there's, there's some issues here. Uh, there, there seems to be a constant effort in the day that we live uh, for women to overthrow uh, the authority of their husbands. They're, they're trying to overthrow uh, the, the, the headship of men and culture in general. Uh, I think one of the, the uh, most uh, ungodly, unbiblical things that came out a number of years ago was the women's rights movement, where women said, we want to be equal to men. Why? Why would you take a step down? Uh, in some aspects, yes, I understand that the man is the head of the wife, but... Why would you want the same kind of responsibilities that a man has? I was reading an article this week, and apparently the NFL sponsored a, a, a game of these uh, trans people, women that, that, that think they're men and men that think they're women. They put all the women that think they're men on one team, and they put all the men that think they're women on one team, and they let them play a hockey game. It just happened. I, it was an article, I guess, yesterday. One of the, one of the women that thought she was a man had to be taken to the hospital. It took them 17 minutes on the ice of medically giving her emergency treatment before they could even take her off the ice to take her to the hospital. She's in critical condition. Why? Because they, they took the order that God created in Scripture and they corrupted it and they said, we want to be different from this. And it brought, it brought about things that should never have even happened. Sure, a man's going to be stronger than a woman and knock her over and, and probably injure her in a game like that. Why? Because they're taking the order that God has established in Scripture and they're defiling it. And there's a movement in our world today, the trans movement and the, the homosexual movement and the, 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 the people that are so promoting this acceptance. And they celebrate. They lit up the White House the other day with rainbow colors yesterday because they signed a law. Can I tell you this? It's not going to work. They're getting it out of God's order. And sad to say, our churches and our religious institutions that ought to be upholding the truth of God's Word are succumbing to the pressures of society and culture and saying we're going to rebel against what God's Word says because we want to be accepting. Let's, let's all get together in the next uh, national convention and we're going to all take a vote and see which direction we should go. There is no voting. If you guys decide at Keith Heights Baptist Church you want to vote on doctrine and decide you're not going to follow God's Word, then find another pastor. We don't vote on doctrine. We come to God's Word and we say, Lord, what is the doctrine you have for us? 
because it's not going to work. This attitude that's going around is infiltrating our churches by leaps and bounds. And I'm talking about good churches. I'm talking about churches that used to hold to God's Word and preach it with boldness and with a desire to be accurate, with a desire for purity of the message. And now we get up and we say, well, I know times have changed, but this book has not changed. And we do not change in these matters. I did not get there yet, ladies. Hang on. Next week we're going to deal with the question, what can a woman do? (laughs) Not much. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Come back next Wednesday. Bleep that out of the the video. That That was a joke for those of you listening by way of the Internet. Uh, come next week, and we'll deal with the topic. I just don't have time. We've got a lot of things that uh, the Bible talks about a woman can do and should do. And so we'll look at those things. You just can't preach in the churches, all right? God said it, and that's all that matters to me. You say, well, don't you agree with it? it? Yes, I do, but it really doesn't matter if I agree with it or not, because the truth is God said it. And you say, well, I don't agree with that. That's fine. You don't have to. But you have to obey it because God said it, all right? And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to belittle women. I certainly am not trying to do that. Uh, There are certainly some things that women can do that men cannot do. I've not met a man yet that can have a child. Just can't do it. Uh, There's the nurturing that women do that, to be real frank with you, we men are not gifted in that area. My son gets a hangnail or a cut or a bruise. Uh, My thought is rub some dirt in it. We'll go to the doctor next time the bone's sticking out of the skin, but if it's not sticking out of the skin, we'll just set it at home. Mom, the first little time they got a low-grade fever of 98.8, we're rushing them to the hospital and trying to find out what's wrong with them. Why? Because God created women to have the ability to do things that men just don't have the ability to do. And so I'm not belittling women. Please don't take this uh, the wrong way. But I do want us to make sure that we are solid biblically that we have a Bible answer. Because you're going to have some people that will argue this point with you, and they will pull up some arguments that from human logic and from human philosophy may make some sense. And if you're not well-versed in this and know what the Bible has to say, if you're not careful, you'll end up saying, well, I guess I see your point. And the truth is, I don't know that I can ever see that point because Scripture is so different and teaches something so contrary to that. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed. I've been sick for a week and a half, so thank you for letting me preach a little longer tonight. I've been missing a few services here, and I had to get it out of my system. So, All right, let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word. We pray that you'll bless it. And Lord, help us as we deal with this topic. Uh, May we understand your word well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.